You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our reading today is from John chapter 10, beginning in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay my life down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. Well, some years ago, uh, Forbes magazine published an article entitled, 15 Ways to Identify Bad Leaders. And you know, some of the points, they were pretty run-of-the-mill. They're what you would expect from a business magazine. A a leader needs to have vision, and if they don't have vision, vision, then that's a bad leader. A leader needs to be able to get results, and if they can't get results, if they can't empower their people to do what is right and do the best at all times, well, that's a bad leader. A leader needs to have an entrepreneurial mindset, and if he or she does not, well, that's a bad leader. And while shepherding overlaps in many ways with general leadership, it is also very distinctly different. Shepherding isn't like leading a Fortune 500 company. And see, the Bible has a tremendous amount to say about shepherding. The word itself is used over 400 times in both the Old and the New Testament, the bulk of which come in the Old Testament. And usually in the Old Testament, it's used in one of two ways. It's about 50-50. It's either literal. The Bible's talking about literal shepherds tending for literal sheep in a literal field. Or it's metaphorical. And when it's metaphorical, it's usually referring to the leaders of God's people, the leaders of Israel. But when we get to the, old, uh, to the New Testament, that weight is completely thrown off. It is overwhelmingly used in a metaphorical sense, but it's still used for Jesus, or it's used for the leaders of the Jews, or predominantly it's used for the leaders of the church. But what this means is that though there are distinct differences in, in, between leaders and shepherds, shepherds are leaders, though. And in our text today, we're not going to find, though, 15 ways to identify a bad shepherd. 
If you came for my list, you're not going to get it. Instead, what we're overwhelmingly going to see is the one way to identify the good one. What we've been doing this epiphany season is taking a look at the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. These are seven statements made by Jesus about Jesus. And each statement is a type of self-revelation, right? He's revealing to, him, uh, to, to us a portion of his identity. They're word pictures of sorts. He's tying himself to images to help explain to us who he is and what he's come to do. And today we arrive at his statement, I am the good shepherd. And the main point today is very, very simple. You could probably guess it because it was the continual refrain of the text. Jesus is the truly good shepherd because he lays his life down for the sheep. We're going to see that there are some really bad shepherds out there and they've broken and they've scattered and they've left the sheep for dead. But we'll see that Jesus is truly the good shepherd and the good shepherd, he lays his life down for the sheep. And that has some implications for those of us who believe. All right, so let's start, though, by asking a question to clarify an implication of the text. The question is, who are the sheep? Now, I'm sure it's obvious, but it's us, right? We're the sheep. And I probably didn't need to tell you that because you already know this. But just because we know something to be true, it doesn't mean that we really understand all of that it implies to us, all that it implies about us. And so just give me a minute or two to try to unpack it and sit with it for a minute. See, the Bible characterizes us as sheep extremely often. It's not a hidden theme in the text. But while we are prone to thinking like, well, that's okay, like I really like sheep. They're, they're soft, they're cuddly, they're cute when they're babies, they're really helpful. They make me fall asleep at night if I count them. But that's, that's really not the image that the Bible is trying to get across. To put it bluntly, sheep are needy. And they're not particularly bright. Here's just a couple of examples. First, uh, there was this news story that I read uh, from Istanbul, Turkey, and it reads this. It says, Turkish shepherds watched in horror as hundreds of their sheep followed each other over a cliff. First, one sheep went over the cliff edge, only to be followed by the whole flock. More than 400 sheep died in a 15-meter fall, their bodies cushioning the fall of the 1,100 others who followed them. See, in total, 1,499 sheep went over that cliff's edge after the first one. And none of them stopped to think, maybe this isn't a good idea. That's us, right? We can see ourselves in this. Or another example, an article I read in the LA Times said that 83 sheep literally ate until their stomachs exploded because they liked the taste of the grass that they were eating just a little bit too much. Doesn't that sound like something that we would do? Overindulge in a good thing until it destroys us? And so when God compares us to sheep, he's doing it for a reason, right? And if we're honest, we know this about ourselves as well. We, we know that we rarely choose the good thing for us. We rarely choose what's best. We do the same damaging things over and over and over again, expecting that if we put in all the same variables into the equation, somehow this time it's going to put out a different result. 
See, we, think, we see things not working in other people's lives, and we say, well, maybe, no, I'll, if I do it, I'll just be the exception. Right? We're like the Arrested Development meme where Tobias and Lindsay, they're sitting on, on somewhere, they're sitting on a couch, I think, or a bed or something, and Lindsay says, like, well, did it work for them? And Tobias goes, no, it never works for them. They, they delude themselves into thinking that it's going to work for them, but it never, it never does. But maybe it'll work for us. We know this about ourselves, and we do this because we are sheep, and we need a shepherd. And that's not necessarily saying anything bad about us. That's just the way that God has designed it. He's designed it so that we would be dependent creatures. See, as I mentioned, biblical shepherds, they are leaders of God's people. But it's important that we understand how God intends for that leadership to be wielded. Shepherds of God's people were in a position of authority over them. Just as a real shepherd is in a position of authority over the sheep in their flock. Like a literal shepherd, these shepherds were meant to feed the sheep. They were meant to provide care for them, give them a place to live and to thrive. They were meant to tend to them when they were weak and needy. They were meant to defend them at their own cost and go after them when they strayed. This is what a biblical shepherd is supposed to do. And though none of us are Jesus, I feel very comfortable speaking on behalf of all four elders here, all four of your shepherds. We are all sinners. We are all in need of a truly great shepherd. I don't care how good the shepherd is. We are all in need of the good shepherd. But the ugly truth is, it's not that just some shepherds are better than others. But some shepherds are just downright bad. And I'm not talking about bad in the sense of like, you just don't like the decisions that they make. I'm talking about wicked. Now you may have noticed, but our text this week overlaps with the text that we looked at last week. And that's because Jesus' statement of I am the door that we looked at last week, it's in the same passage where he's talking about himself as being the good shepherd. And in John 10, Jesus has been contrasting himself over and over again against these non-shepherds, and we could call them bad shepherds, who are posing as shepherds, and he points out two distinct types, right? The first one is the thief, and that one appeared in our text last week. And in verse 10, we see that the thief, he comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. And last week, we saw that the thief was described in verses 1 and verse 8. He's not a shepherd but some, someone who just climbs in over the wall. He climbs in over the hedge. He doesn't come through the door. He comes to hurt. He comes to take. But secondly, in our text today, we see the hired hand. Look at, look at verse 12. He says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. And so while Jesus describes these two types of bad shepherds, we can really treat them as one because they are in effect the same. Right? Did you see it? Whether, whether they've come to take your life like the thief or they've come to flee and leave you for dead like the hired hand, both of these kinds of shepherds are leaving you to be the one that suffers. You're the one suffering, not them. You're the one dying. But Jesus isn't contrasting himself 
against some hypothetical figures. He's talking about the Pharisees right in front of him. Right? He, he, he's not subtweeting them and they get home and they check their Twitter feed and they go like, well, I remember having a conversation with, with Jesus today. I wonder if this is about me. No, he says, I want you to see my eyes when I say this. I don't want there to be any confusion about who I'm talking about. And how do I know that? See, this passage is a breakout monologue in the midst of an interaction Jesus is having with the Pharisees after he heals a man born blind. And that's the story that takes up chapter 9. And to understand Jesus' words here, we really need to know a couple of things from that story. First, the Pharisees were, were meant to be shepherds of the Jews in Jesus' day. They were the ones that were supposed to be feeding and nurturing and caring for and going after and, and, and tending to the flock of God. But secondly, the Pharisees were very unhappy with the fact that Jesus healed this man. And not only that, he healed him on the Sabbath. And so the picture Jesus paints for us is not that he's doing, or is that he is doing what these shepherds ought to have done. He's the one caring for the hurt and vulnerable. He's the one healing them. He's the one feeding them. And so the picture that Jesus paints for us is not only that he's doing what the shepherds should do, but he's doing it on times that their extra biblical requirements have said are off limits. Right? He's doing it when their self-created power structures were said that this was not okay on the Sabbath. See, bad shepherds will always create structures outside of what God requires. I want to be clear with that. God does require certain things. There are qualifications. There are things that God asks of us. But bad shepherds are always going to bind more than what God requires to ensure that they maintain the power. That they keep the leverage. The system is built for them to always come out on top. And it's always at the expense of somebody else. Usually for those people that they have been entrusted to care for. And Jesus' words against the Pharisees here, they are not new. He's actually just joining the testimony of the, the prophets who condemn these evil shepherds and pronounce impending judgment upon them. For instance, in Ezekiel 34 we read, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? The passage goes on to say that the shepherds of Israel who were supposed to be caring for God's people were instead only caring for themselves. They were stuffing their wallets. They were devouring the sheep rather than caring for them. They were scattering them and leaving them fleeing for dead. And what was true then... In, in Ezekiel's day, in the time of the prophets, and in Christ's day with the Pharisees, we know it's still true now. There are a lot of bad shepherds leading God's people. And I don't feel like I need to convince you of that. Because I know your stories. I know the abuses of power that you've suffered. I know the church hurt many of you come from. I know the pain that a bad shepherd has inflicted upon you, and I know how you carry it with you still to this very day. But honestly, even if I didn't know all of those things, it's just an unavoidable truth. There are too many stories out there. A few years ago, the Houston Chronicle uh, detailed uh, this long investigation that they did of cover-ups of over 380 accounts of sexual assault in a particular denomination in their area. 380 accounts 
of, a, of sexual assault in the church by shepherds that left over 700 victims in their wake. Or even just last year, Christianity did this long-form investigative journalism podcast on a particular church in Washington State that, that collapsed in 2014-15. And while the podcast was about the rise and the fall of the whole thing, what it really focused on was the transgressions of the lead pastor. The fact that it was his sins, it was his, his willingness to continue to grow and continue to get and to continue to have a claim that caused this downfall. And ultimately, when his sins, of, the wolves of his sins came to devour the sheep, he fled. And they were left to pick up the pieces. Or even just this last week in our own city in Stockton, a news article popped up that said a man, a leader of a church here in town, stole over half a million dollars from his church. The literal thief. It's heartbreaking, but the stories literally just go on and on and on. And these are just the ones that make the news. I know many of your stories didn't. Bad shepherds are everywhere. They're stealing from the flock, they're scattering the flock, and ultimately they're leaving the flock for dead so that they can prosper. Rather than dying for the flock, they're making the flock die for them. And maybe that's just pushed you to the brink. You're saying, Matt, that's just it. The church is where I was supposed to be able to trust people. But I've only found pain and heartache here. That's it. I, I can't be fully invested. I'm sorry. I'll come on Sundays. I may even become a, men, a member, but I have to supplement. I can't tie my heart here because it's just a matter of time until you let me down too. And so maybe you look to your preferred political party because you say, I can't trust a person, but maybe I can trust a platform. Maybe I can trust an ideology. Or maybe you say, I've got this online preacher that I follow, and he's really wise. And guess what? He doesn't know me, and I don't know him. And so I can let that lead me. Or maybe you follow Joe Rogan or Jordan Peterson or fill in the name of whoever your favorite free-thinking podcast host is. You say to yourself, I can trust them because guess what? If I don't like what they're saying, I can just turn it off. And you do this because you say, I'm an open-minded person. Matt, I'm in the, it's the 21st century. I don't have to be in anyone's flock. I don't have to be in, in, under anyone's authority. I can be the master of my fate. I can be the captain of my soul. And friend, I hear you. And to be perfectly honest, I understand it. And I don't want to discount your pain. But I need you to hear me. To think that you can be your own shepherd is to deny your very created nature. It's foolishness. And we all know it. Because remember, we're sheep. We rarely do what is best for us. We give ourselves to destructive patterns and habits. And so maybe you say, well, what then? What am I supposed to do? I've been hurt by the shepherds in the church. I've been hurt by the shepherds of the world. And now you're saying I can't even trust myself. It seems hopeless. You've left me in a no-win scenario. 
but it's here. It's in this tension. It's in this exasperated desperation that causes you to just want to give up. It's here when we've been beaten and seemingly have no hope. We've been left for dead that Jesus comes to us and he says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Now there's some debate as to whether or not when Jesus says, I am, at the beginning of these statements that we've been looking at, if he's really invoking God's covenant name that he gave to his people Israel through Moses. But honestly, we don't need to know if that's the case to know whether or not Jesus is claiming to be God here. See, back in Ezekiel 34, uh, after the prophet comes against the wicked shepherds of Israel that we looked at earlier, he gives a prophecy of hope to the people. It says this, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. So when Jesus is saying that he's the good shepherd, he's saying, I am God come to gather my scattered flock. He's saying, I know you've been beaten. I know you've been scattered. I know you feel like you can't trust anyone anymore, but I have not turned a blind eye. I'm here to gather you. I'm here to heal you. I'm here to do everything and more that you hoped that those wicked and worthless shepherds would do for you. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. See, Jesus didn't come to just liberate you from the evil shepherds of the world. But no, he came ultimately to liberate you from the wicked shepherd of your own sin. He came to free you from yourself, from thinking that you can be your own shepherd. And if you believe that, then the words of King David's famous Psalm 23 can become your true words as well. You can say with David, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You can trust that he'll lead you and he'll guide you and he'll restore you. You can trust that even when you face death, it will be just a shadow because Jesus himself was plunged into the full weight of the darkness for you. You can trust that when your enemies seem to still be prospering and evil seems to be in triumph, you can trust that he prepares abundance for you. And you can trust that he'll lead you all the way home to be with him again. He says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. And if you trust him today, if you've trusted that he's truly liberated you from the evil shepherd of your own sin, then in our text today, that means at least three things for us. And we're going to spend what's left of our time looking at those three things. Number one, it means life. No more does death have a complete grip on us. No more do we have to just make the best out of a corrupt circumstance. The psalmist says that when we take refuge in God, when we, we will find that he makes known to us the path of life. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And in his, uh, in his, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Or like Jesus puts it in verse 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Unlike the bad shepherds, the good shepherd Jesus doesn't come to take your life. He comes to give you life. 
Friends, if you've put your faith in the good shepherd, then the pains of this world can hurt you. They can put you down. I'm not going to lie to you about that. But they cannot keep you down. Because we realize that we belong to another shepherd. He's come to give us abundant life. See, the apostles early in Acts, after they had been beaten for proclaiming the name of Jesus, in Acts 5, it says that they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. The worthless shepherds of their day had hurt them, but they could not hold them down because they had a hope, they had a joy, they had an abundance of life that was situated in Jesus. It was situated in the resurrection. And that's where abundance of life is found. It's beyond the grave with Christ. In Jesus, we have life and we have it abundantly because he's the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Number two, it means unity. Verse 12 says that he, the hired hand flees and the wolf scatters the sheep. But, but what does Jesus do? He gathers them because he cares for them. In Matthew 9, we see that Jesus looked out over the crowds and he had compassion on them. Literally, his guts turned inside of him because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, but unlike the hired hand, Jesus doesn't look at us and then flee when the wolf comes. But he stays put so that he can gather all the sheep into the fold. Or as verse 3 said last week, he calls every single one out by name. But that's not the end of it. It's not just that we're unified back to him through his gathering to himself, but we're unified to one another as well. Look, verse 16 says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now, I know some non-Christian faiths throughout history have tried to argue that this meant that Jesus came to North America after his embodied resurrection recorded in the gospel accounts. But that's just absolutely not what this means. Jesus is talking about the Gentiles. The Jews are the sheep of the fold, and the Gentiles are the sheep that are not of this fold. See, in Ephesians 2, Paul says that the blood of Christ has brought near those who were formerly far off and enemies. And he's reconciled these enemies. And, and Jesus has broken down, and through this reconciliation, he's broken down the walls of hostility that were formerly there between Jew and Gentile to make one people. And so this means that despite our differences in ethnicity, in background, in upbringing, in politics, you name it, Jesus has brought us into the fold. We are now one flock under one shepherd. Bad shepherds are going to find ways to divide and exclude, but that's not Jesus. Jesus' ministry means unity because he is the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Third, and finally, it means certainty. Look at verses 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. If Jesus is your shepherd, it means that you can live your life with certainty. 
See, Jesus is saying that we can know that we know him. We can know that he loves us. We can have certainty about who he is and our relationship to him with the same degree of confidence that the father knows the son. And why is that? See, five times in our text today, Jesus says he lay his life down. Five times. And interestingly, in verse 18, he says that he has the authority to lay it down. Well, think about what it means to lay something down. When you lay down in bed at night, you do it with a purpose. The purpose is to rest, and eventually the purpose is to get up again in the morning. If you simply passed out, you are not laying down. You are yielding to something that has more power than you. But Jesus says he lays his life down. See, centuries before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah said, not only were we scattered, but we had gone astray. There was a willful aspect about this. We willfully left the fold. See, we didn't trust God as to be our good shepherd, and so we gave ourselves over to the wicked shepherd of sin, thinking we were doing what was best for ourselves, but we're sheep. We rarely pick that. And thinking we were doing that, instead we sold ourselves into slavery. And see, Jesus has been talking about the wicked shepherds right in front of him. I don't want to miss that. But we would be missing the bigger point if we didn't see that he's ultimately talking about the evil shepherd of sin that we are all under. Because you could say, well, Matt, I gave my life to Jesus, but my situation hasn't changed. I still find wicked shepherds everywhere. They still seem to be prospering. Friends, there's a day coming that the wicked will get what is coming to them. There is justice coming. Zechariah says that, that for these wicked shepherds, another prophecy is talking about it, he's go, God is going to tear off their right arm and gouge out their eyes. The very things that they used to wield authority over the sheep in their care, he's going to break off and tear out. But the cross and the resurrection, it tells us we know that this is not going to remain this way forever. We know the judgment is coming, but how? See, Isaiah said that there was a shepherd coming who was going to be like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And that was Jesus. The good shepherd switched places with his sheep so that we, the sheep, could be certain that we would inherit the kingdom of the good shepherd. The good shepherd became a true sheep, and he subjected himself to the most wicked of shepherds all the way to death. And he came with full authority over the flock. And how did he use that authority? He used it to lay his life down on Friday. But verse 18 says that in that same authority, he picked it back up again on Sunday. He left an empty tomb so that we would know he really did it. He left an empty tomb so that we would know that even if a wicked shepherd puts us in the grave, death is only an open door to true abundance of life. See, the bad shepherds have come to gain their life by taking yours. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life by laying mine down. Friends, Jesus is the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we...